Welcome to episode 670 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome on to episode 670 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. It's uh, our mid Bevan John are away shows. Before we say go there, John, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm back in Christchurch actually, Bevan. Oh, yeah. I'm in the got, sun still. Got back yesterday, freezing my tits off while you're in the sun. Oh, I'm having a massage, did some yoga. Life does go on though. Not for me, I'm still there. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've had your massage and everything, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon I get a massage every day when I'm there. Great. I love massages. Do you like massages? I do like a massage. Have yep. you been to Bali? No. No. Have you been to Thailand? Yes. Like a holiday? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Did you get massages there? Yeah, I think we did. Yep. yep. Koh Samui. Koh Samui is Thailand, isn't it? Yep. Remember going to Koh Samui? Yep. Yep. Good times. Okay, John, um, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. Robert the Mighty Flynn, who was over on our Kona camp. Oh, I apparently nailed it. He did. We don't really know Robert, but I'm sure... No, I do. No, Rob's, uh, Rob, Rob will nail it. He, he's, uh, he's our producer of our fantastic I Am Talk gear, which you can get through iamtalk.me. Oh, so there you go. go and check that out. Uh, good old Bruce uh, Tomahawk Tomlinson. And Peter Thorthouse. Okay, so this week's show is another interview-packed show. We've got two interviews, and um, one of them we've done, and it's amazing. And the second one we haven't done, I'm going to be doing that later on this week, so you guys will get to hear about that later. But John, who's the first interview? We've got Andrew Messick, so I'd have him on the show. And, uh, some good stuff Some good stuff indeed uh, And then we've got Sika Henry And we, we talked about her on the show She had a big crash a while ago And is trying to be the first African American athlete To be a pro Long course athlete I think is, is the best we, we, We'll find out later on Yeah Because there has been well, No we'll find out from her later on Yep we'll talk about that Because there's an interesting discussion about that So let's just quickly talk about What's coming up this weekend John Holy smoke Bevan Holy <laughs> smoke rooney There's no sort of Ironman branded uh, Long course races But K226.com is telling me There's a crap load of other races Coming up this weekend So in uh, Poland You've got the Diablak Biscuit Extreme The Kelpman Which we know about <clears throat> Which is up in Scotland That's more of one of those Norseman type events You'll Freeze in the swim, uh, a, a tough bike ride, and then you've got a tough run there at the end. Uh, and I think the conditions make that race uh, pretty tricky. The Schloss Triathlon in Germany, which uh, I remember rolls around every year, as does the Northwest Triathlon in Spain. We've got the Lakesman up in uh, Cumbria in Keswick, and that's been around for a while. And I'm I feeling they sold out this year. I think they may be in the half at least they sold out. It sounds like it's doing really well. I follow them on Facebook and they seem to do a fantastic job. And then uh, one that I haven't heard or I haven't mentioned before that I recall and it is only the second year that I've had it is the Tours in Man in uh, the Loire Valley in France. And I checked that out before we um, before we came on and second year they've been running the event. Uh, and this is what you're going to hear later on in this interview is from Messick um, about the 
the penetration they've got in certain places in, in Europe where the sport's really well established, um, but there's still plenty of growth. France, the sport's massive. This race here, um, for a non-branded race, you know, they had over 500 finishes in the full, and wow. they had, you know, a couple of hundred sort of did not finish and did not start, and they had a half on the same time. So that's a that's getting to be a decent size event only in its second year. So I think there still is scope, as you're going to hear later on from Andrew Messick, for, for expansion and even the developed parts of the market. So lots going on this weekend around the world. Okay, John, that's pretty much the news, isn't it? It is indeed. I've got an interesting fact. Okay, fact of the week. During the 1904 Summer Olympic Marathon, one runner hitched a right. 1904, yes. Another was given rat poison and brandy as a stimulus. Stimulant, yeah. For fourth place winner, took a nap during the run, and two others were run by, 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 chased down by angry dogs. Goodness me. The sport's moved on a bit from those It days. has. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, John, let's do a sponsor before. Oh, no, let's do Andrew first and then we'll do a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so John, we've got Andrew Messick up. Um, we had him on the show. We interviewed him a few weeks ago. Uh, very good interview. Um, you guys are going to hear it right now. Here is CEO of Ironman. That's the official world. It's not Wanda, is it? It is Ironman and Wanda Company. Yep. Uh, here is Andrew Messick. Okay, guys, uh, very happy to have uh, CEO of uh, Ironman on board today. We've had him on the show a couple of times before. Uh, he's a keen rugby player, and he's a keen participant in our sport as well as heading it up. So uh, welcome along to the show, Andrew Messick. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Right. Um, sometimes we uh, bitch and moan about some stuff that, that happens in our sport. Uh, we try to keep it as, as even and as fair as possible. But there's been some fantastic announcements recently um, that, that I've really been cheerleading in terms of you guys picking out some really cool venues for 70.3 Worlds in St. George uh, and France and, and got some really good consistency there. And uh, also really like the recent news about the rotating the Ironmans uh, around a couple of different venues in the states as well so maybe before we start can you give us a bit of a, a general lay of the land of um, where Ironman's at at the moment in terms of sort of growth plans not just you know, US and Europe based but but kind of where the direction of the, of the, of the company's going at the moment. Well, first, gentlemen, I, I, I can't let slide the fact that you talked about Nice and you talked about St. George, but you failed to mention <laughs> 70.3 Worlds are going to be in your home country of New Zealand. Yeah. I, 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 you guys are just being too coy. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, when it comes to 70.3 Worlds, um, you know, w- we made a big, a big change uh, prior to, you know, to 2013. Um, and and really felt that that 70.3 Worlds was was never going to be the race that it it could be and it should be if it was in places like Clearwater, Florida, or Las Vegas, Nevada. Not that there's anything wrong with Clearwater or or, or Las Vegas, but but if we wanted to create a, a truly great race, uh, we needed to put it in great places, places that were going to capture the imagination of our global community of athletes. And and we have really been focused on trying to to put a great event in great locations around the world that are going to make people want to say, I, I want to qualify for worlds. I want to I want to go there. I want to bring my family and, you know, and, and really turn it into something special. And I, I think we've had a lot of success with that. And and it's been due to the efforts of, of a bunch of people. Um, but. 
you know, to go from Tremblant to Austria to Australia, you know, back to the United States and Chattanooga to South Africa, you know, to Nice this this coming September, and then, you know, to New Zealand, which is a place that that overwhelmingly people want to go to, and people are are looking for opportunities to, you know, to to bring their families and and to vacation and to race and 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 so we're pretty excited about that. And you know, seventy point three worlds has has gone, has grown enormously. Um, you know, I, I competed as an age group athlete in the very first one in two thousand and six hmm. in Clearwater. Uh, qualified at Cancun uh, <laughs> back nice. when there was a seventy point three Cancun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, you know, and I think there was thirteen hundred athletes. Uh, we'll have five thousand in Nice, and by the time we get to Taupo, we'll have close to six. Wow. And so. You know, this is it's become like a legitimate world class event and 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 it's been and it's been fantastic. And it really we've done it on the back of, you know, the the race venues that we have around the world that are you know exceptional and that are in places that you know, capture the imagination of athletes. So we're really excited about that. And uh, and St. George will be, you know, a, another great step. And, and it was great to be able to announce that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but you know, Nice is going to be great. And then going to New Zealand is going to be great. And then coming back to the United States is going to be great. And so we're, 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 uh, we're happy about that. In, in terms of, um, the expansion of the Ironman brand and the sport, we, we oft, often, you know, the news we get is often, you know, American, European or Oceania, where we know that, or no, I, I believe probably, I guess your big expansion area is Asia and the Middle East, um, India, etc. But we don't really see a lot of media yeah. about that because that's not our language, etc. What, what, how yeah. is the growth in those areas and how does that, and, and I guess what is the, the numbers like for you guys in terms of your traditional areas? It seems like from, from the way we look at it, it's kind of flattened off, but I guess the huge growth is in yeah. those other countries. Well, we're, we're seeing growth, you know, in, in most places, in, including developed markets. And, and I think that's, that's important to, to highlight, uh, you know, we, we announced our, uh, an additional race in France in Le Sable de Lone that, that will have close to 3000 athletes. Um, you know, it's our, it's our third 70.3 in France, you know, and, and three seventy point threes in France, there's 55 million people in France. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a big country that has a tremendous sporting tradition and relative to places like Australia and New Zealand, we really don't have very many races there. And so, you know, we have we have stuff in, in the Côte d'Azur, in Aix-en-Provence, and, and obviously in Nice. We've got a couple of races in Vichy. But until Le Sable de Lone, we, we didn't have anything in western France. We don't have anything in northern France. So th- there continues to be opportunities for us to put races in, in, in parts of the world that are, you know, classically more developed. Um, you know, we don't have any Ironman races in the South Island of New Zealand, for instance. Mm. Um, and, and, and so we think there's continued tactical opportunities. Um, but you're right that there's extraordinary growth opportunities in other parts of the world. And, you know, we have our first race in Morocco this year, our first race in India, our first race in Greece. Um, and there's more territories that are, you know, that, that are you know, growing. You know, we, we've never had a race in Russia. Um, mm. and, and we will within the next couple of years. Um, this last weekend was the, our 70.3 in, in Da Nang in Vietnam. Uh, the first year we had that race, I think there was 85 Vietnamese athletes. Uh, 
there are last weekend there was almost 1100 Vietnamese athletes mm. and so in in just a period of five years we've gone from a country where the entire race was filled with ex expatriates it was Hong Kong athletes it was Singaporean athletes it was Australian athletes who traveled up to Da Nang and it's been replaced with you know a race in a community that that's mostly locals and we've seen that in the Philippines we've seen it increasingly in Malaysia we've seen it in China where you put a race into into a market, a place where perhaps there isn't a, a, a long or deep triathlon history, and you capture the imagination of people, and and they start to race, and and suddenly there is a community of athletes, and 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 you find yourself in in a position where where you really have growth opportunity, and you're not just getting athletes from other parts of the world who are traveling. Uh, and we see that everywhere in the world, and we see it super consistently. Um, we'll have, I, I think, four times more Indian athletes race with us in 2019 than we've ever had before. Mm -hmm. And it's because we put a race in Goa. And, you know, we'll have more than one race in India in, in the fullness of time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, we only have one race in Japan. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, we're going to have one race in Korea. And we have no races in Russia. And, and so, you know, yeah, we've got a bunch of races in Australia and we've got a bunch of races in the United States and we've got a bunch of races in Canada, but there's tons of parts of the world where we really don't have very many races at all. And so what, what, what are some that's of the, a long answer. What are some of the key objectives kind of for the next period of time, let's say to kind of next two or three years, when you guys are kind of planning out what are the key kind of things you're trying to achieve? Is it kind of just staying on the same path or are there some bigger chunks that you kind of need to address? Well, I think there's there's two different forks to that question and let me address them separately. Uh, when you're talking about long distance triathlon, which historically has been the core of our business for the last 40 years, we're very thoughtful about where where we have populations of athletes and where we should have populations of athletes. Uh, and we use a lot of more conventional retail metrics to really try to understand how densely uh, penetrated we are in certain parts of the world and 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 where we aren't and and so like a retailer we think you know we some of the tools that we use are are, are really focused on you know where can we c continue to add races without cannibalizing races that already exist and and as I said earlier there's lots of opportunity for us to be able to do that in most places in the world. And there are some exceptions, and, and it's quite possible that Australia and New Zealand are those exceptions because we are, relatively speaking, when you think of the total population of Australia and New Zealand, you know, it's fewer than 30 million people, you know, that's half of France. Mm. It's less than half of Germany. Mm. And if you look at how many races we have in Germany, you know, we've got a small fraction of the number of races that we have in Australia and New Zealand and you know there's 85 million people in Germany. So so we think that we're going to continue to be able to thoughtfully and tactically continue to build long distance triathlon around the world and that we're going to be able to do that for a long time. Um, and it's going to involve to a large extent us you know really embracing the globality of Ironman and for those of you guys who who've been around for a long time, you know and I think you know, I've been around for 15 years and you guys have been around longer, if anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's been one of the things we've really seen when you go to Kona and you go to 70.3 Worlds. 
there's Argentines, there's Chileans, there's Russians, there's Chinese. I mean, it's really become a global event. Whereas 15 or 20 years ago, it was Japanese, Canadians, Americans, Germans, Australians, and New Zealanders. Mm. That was the overwhelming majority of, of the world championship. And today, the world championship really is a world championship. Mm. Pros and age groupers, athletes from all over the world who all have this same dream of, you know, of, uh, you know, competing in the world championships of becoming an Ironman of running down elite, you know, and, and I think it's, it's enormously exciting and, and it's been the, the, the byproduct of a lot of work, but we've in the last eight years really tried hard to be less of an American company mm-hmm. and more of a global brand. Um, and I think we're on our way. And, and I think that, that there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of runway for us. So that's the first answer to your question. The, the second answer is that one of the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest changes of, of our company in the last five or six years is we've evolved from just being a long distance triathlon company. Uh, we're now the largest organizer of running events in the world. We're the largest uh, organizer of mountain biking events in the world. And, and we think that a lot of the capabilities that we have, we've got 28 offices in 17 countries around the world. We've got you know, 600 full-time staff. Um, you know, we think that the infrastructure that, that we built and the capabilities that we've built around the world to, to be a long-distance triathlon company have allowed us to be a good organizer of running events and a good organizer of mountain biking events and a good organizer of trail running events. I and mean, we have the two largest trail running events in the Southern hemisphere in Australia, New Zealand, uh, and, you know, UTA of a race just outside of Sydney with, you know, 4,000 participants is the biggest trail running event in the Southern hemisphere. Um, you know, and that's part of our portfolio of company of, of races as is Tarawera, mm-hmm. you know, which is in your part of the world, uh, right in Rotorua. Mm-hmm. And so we, we think that our, our company continues to be able to evolve into being a broader based mass participation endurance company. Uh, and we think that the broader industry of mass participation endurance is one that's um, going to be really well positioned for the future, both in developed markets where inactivity, obesity, type two diabetes, it are, are increasingly huge health issues in, in developed economies and governments and companies are looking more and more innovatively to find ways to get people to be physically active. And, and we think that that's good for our industry, whether that's people doing their first 5k or doing running a marathon or you know, doing a hundred mile bike ride or doing an Ironman. And so we think that that trend is going to continue in developed markets and in the developing parts of the world in Eastern Europe, Latin America, Asia, we think one of the powerful trends that we're going to continue to see is the emergence of middle class of middle classes in these parts of the world. And where for the first time for hundreds of millions of people who are moving into the middle class and now have both time and resources to do more than worry about food on the table, a roof over their head, and education for their children. And what we're seeing people doing is they're spending more time and more 
energy and effort on things that are going to make them healthy and happy. Uh, and so we see enormous growth in running and cycling in, in long distance triathlon in all these other parts of the world. And, and we also believe that, that those are trends that are going to be with us for, you know, for the foreseeable future, barring, you know, something really unpredictable. Mm. Uh, so, so our company has changed a lot in the last five or six years and, and we're not just a long distance triathlon company anymore. So that's a long way of answering your question about what the future brings. Yeah. We're, we're going to get, I'm, I'm going to get a really hard time if I don't ask you some questions about things that irritate me a little bit. And look, I, I, I raced Kona in 2014 and, and got a drafting yeah. penalty there. And it, it, it's almost to a degree impossible to not draft to, to some degree in that race. And for some people, it's very, very difficult to not to draft. So we, we interviewed um, one of the fellows from Everyman Jack a few weeks ago, and we know that they sent you an open letter around the statistics on how difficult it is to not draft over there. So maybe talk to us a little bit about um, about Kona and, and the age group race over there. Well, that's that's a good question. It's a long question. It's one that, that allows people who love our sport to go deep, deep, deep down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing about Kona that, that you have to acknowledge is how profoundly unlike it is to any other race in the world. And, and, and I say that with respect to the, the extraordinary concentration of really, really fast athletes. Um, and so because there's so many extraordinary athletes, it creates operational problems that are unlike any race we have anywhere else in the world. Uh, we had this year 600 people, no, I'm, excuse me, I take it back. I think it was 505 age group athletes who got to transition to in under six hours. Yeah. F- 500 people mm. who, who basically swam an hour right, and five. rode five hours, yeah. Yeah. you know, and then with transition in yeah. there, 500 yeah. age groupers. And now the conditions were perfect, but, but the, the point is, you know, we routinely will have a thousand athletes get out of the water within a 15 minute window. You know, people who are swimming between 55 minutes and, and, and an hour and 10, you know, in an open water, non-wetsuit swim, a thousand people getting, getting, out of transition, you know, changing and getting onto the bike course. And, and, and you're right that it creates a, a series of density issues on the bike course that are largely impossible to solve. We, we have for years pushed to keep the, as much of the mass start as we possibly could. We like the drama. We like the spectacle. We like the notion of the gun going off and, you know, the may, may the best man and best woman and first man and first woman, you know, win the race. But increasingly, as, as the caliber of athletes has gotten better and better, the, the operational constraints that, that we're faced with, particularly on bike course density, uh, has made that unmanageable. And so, the fact that we're going to, I think it's nine waves in 2019, mm. um, and that we're extending the start window, we're completely reconfiguring the start so that 
you know, well, let me let me take a step back. One of the constraints we've always had is that we've needed to start everybody before the, before the first pro mail gets back. Hmm. You start right because you're using the same steps to go into the water as you are to get out of the water. Yep. So so by the time you know Andy Potts and company you know are are swimming in you know, 45 minutes is the swim course record. We have to get everybody out and started. That's always been one of the constraints we've had. So we relaxed that this year. And we said, all right, we're going to start, you know, we're going to give ourselves, I think it's going to be 55 minutes, might be 60. But we're giving ourselves an extra 15 minutes to start athletes. And we're giving ourselves a bunch of extra waves. And we'll have, we're going to have wider stairs and we're going to have two-way traffic so that age groupers will be going into the water as pros are coming out of the water. Uh, and it's a fairly fundamental reconfiguration. We're going to kick everybody out of transition. The, the access to the stairs and the swim start will be from a Lee drive instead of from transition. So we're, we're making a bunch of changes. The, the net effect will be we're, we're not going to have a single wave that will have more than I think 550 people this year. And, and we're trying to, sequence and, and, and stage the waves so that the maximum density of people coming out of the water and, and by consequence going out onto the bike course is going to be dramatically lower. And, and, and what we're giving up is we're giving up some of the spectacle, you know, the spectacle of having 1500 athletes all go at the same time. And, you know, every man and every woman is on the same start line where we have to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not because the race is too big. It's that people have gotten too good <laughs> and, and, and that, you know, you just, you've got too many people who, who can swim and ride in six hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's the, the globality of the athlete pool, you know, it's, it's increasingly becoming a global sport and, and the best people in the world, instead of just the best people in this subset of countries that, that have historically populated Ironman. Um, and so, you know, it's just getting faster and faster and faster and, and, and I don't really see an end to it. Um, so the race has to adjust. And, and so, you know, the last wave, you know, which, which I think is scheduled to be at 7:30, will be our legacy athletes. Cool. You know, we're going to have, we're going to, we're going to take all of our legacy guys and we're going to have them be last because we want them to have, you know, as the pros are coming out of the water, we want them to have a chance to, to get the spotlight. Um, but, but we'll, I think we're going to start athletes for 65 minutes, I believe. Yeah. Oh, look, I was um, one for so it's a big change. Big change, and and I pretty much said after 2014, I'm not going to race Kona again until uh, there's some change there. And this is the sort of thing that, for me yeah. as an athlete, goes right. You're, you're doing every, you know, you're doing everything you can to make it happen. So that's awesome. Yeah. The, the other question I sort of um, have is around Kona slots. You know, so we've obviously got all yeah. the races around the world traditionally, which which you know you go to Taupo and there's 40 slots, 50 slots, etc. Um, yeah. wh- whatever it might be. But then we see these other races around the world. All of a sudden, 10 slots bonus slots pop up here or pop up there or pop up there and um, f- from the outside looking in it, it seems to us oh, that Ironman are just trying to 
to get more people to enter, etc. So maybe give us your point in, in terms of when you do allocate Kona slots to other races, um, what's your sort of rationale for, for doing that? Well, we look a few years in advance with regard to how slot allocation works. It, it's a long lead time item. And part of what we, part of the reason it's a long lead time item is because we are trying to put aside slots that will, one, factor in growth of Kona. And we're, mm. We have, you know, we had, I think, 2,500 athletes this year, and it was, I think, 50 slots more than it's ever been. And so we're tactically trying to figure out, can we find some more slots here and there? Is there a little bit, you know, can we increase the capacity on the pier a little bit? Can we decrease the density on the bike course a little bit so that we don't have, you know, we don't have too much or too many athletes that, that are all that are um, that are racing at any one time. So we've got long-term plans to see how can we handle the fact that you know, we have overwhelming demand for this race. So we're trying to go from you know, 2,300 to 2,400 to 2,450 to 2,500, and that's a long-term type of, of exercise. The the second long lead time thing is as we're thinking about new races. And our new race planning, which is often a multi-year type of type of process, um, you know, we're looking, you know, we need to earmark races for the full that is going to be just, for example, in Russia. Now, it may not be till 2022 that we have a full in Russia, but when we do, we need to have Kona slots for that. So we're, we're earmarking Kona slots and we've got a multi-year allocation process. And sometimes things don't go the way we expect. Things take longer than we think. And we find ourselves with 20 or 30 slots for a race that's going to be in nine months. And we don't have a home for them hmm. because we thought a race that's going to take place here isn't. And the slots that we had allocated have freed up. And so we're like, we've got 30 extra slots. What do we do with them? And sometimes we give more of those slots to legacy athletes. Uh, sometimes we will put an extra 10 races, 10 slots into Louisville. Uh, we try to be thoughtful and pragmatic mm. about what we do with those. Um, but I, I think the larger truth is that still overwhelmingly 90 plus percent of the people that race Kona every year are either legacy athletes or people who are qualifying by going to a race somewhere in the world and performing at a really high level. And I, I don't have any intention of changing that dimension, that, that, uh, you know, that way that we've always operated because ultimately part of what makes Kona special is, you know, you have to qualify your way in. Um, but we try not to let Kona slots go to waste. And, and, um, uh, and sometimes when we find ourselves with a few extra, you know, we will, we'll do something like we did in Louisville this year for all world athletes. Cool. Now we, we know we've uh, used up our, our time that we've got with you, but in terms of anything else you want to get out to the, the Ironman audience in terms of things that you think are important I'm, or anything that people, you know, that people gr yeah. grind on Ironman about that you kind of want to put your, your side of the story. Well, I'm, I'm fine to keep going if you guys are. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll get the receipt. No, <laughs> no I, I guess that that was my main right, other question. Is 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 really yeah. you know because those those are the areas that, that that bug me is is 
Kona, you know, I am keen to get back there and race, and the drafting was an issue. When I see the slots um, getting allocated races, I go, what the hell is going on there? But what are the other things, that the noise that you hear out there that you're going, come on, people, you don't necessarily know why we're making these decisions. So I guess other things that, that people grind on Ironman that you want to try to give your side of the story. Well, you know, I, I know that, you know, we are – we're the beneficiary of uh, a community of athletes that care a lot. And, and so because people care a lot about Ironman, uh, they're not hesitant to, to make their opinions felt. And, you know, that's okay with us. And, you know, we don't mind having people, you know, be critical. Uh, and, you know, I think the Kona, you know, the, the Kona density issue is, is one that, is a good example of that. You know, we've, there's a lot of people who were unhappy about that. Um, and, and it's, you know, and, and you know, we talk to our technical guys and, and with the exception of you, you know, they, they tell us that most of the people on the bike course really try to ride clean. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're right there, Andrew, you're right there. He's a, he's a cheat. Truth hurts sometimes. <laughs> Oh, uh, draft, drafting is it's the it's the crime no one has ever committed. Exactly. <laughs> but 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 look, we we get it, um, and 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 so you know we've you know we we listen carefully. We we can't always you know we can't always make a decision that makes everybody happy. And and you know I'll I'll give you an example that when we separated men and women from from the Kona start, uh, our technical guys did a bunch of work looking at the impact of women's performance uh, in Kona among athletes who are great swimmers. And, and what our technical team calculated is that if you're, if you're a terrific female swimmer, a front of the pack swimmer, it bought you eight minutes. Wow. Yeah. So, so swimming, swimming with the guys, Plus, being able to get onto the bike course at maximum density and having the first 50 kilometers of the bike being surrounded by a lot of people mm. was worth eight minutes. Nice. And, and so, you know, when we changed that, you can't believe the, the amount of angry, great swimmers <laughs> who are like, how could you do this? This is terrible. You've ruined Ironman. Yeah. Because you know now I have to you know, I have to swim through the back of the men's field, yeah. and and you know it's, you, when you make changes, um, you know part of you know there's going to be people who benefit and there's going to be people who don't benefit, and and because everybody cares, um, you know part of what we have to deal with is is the reality that you know not everybody's going to be happy, and 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 our job. And my job in particular is, is to try to protect the brand and build the brand. And I have to do things that make people angry sometimes. Uh, and not everybody likes every change that we made. Um, and I have to live with that. You've been in the role for a while now, Andrew. Just um, are you still enjoying it? Are you still challenged by it? Is it something you see yourself doing for a lot longer? Um, you know, just on a personal level. Because, I, you know, you've done really well with the business. It's really grown a lot in your time and in some really powerful ways. Um, you know, just on a personal level, where are you at within your journey of your career? Well, look, you know, I've, I've been, 
I've been in the job for eight years now. Um, I'm 55. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a son who's 11. Um, I travel a lot. Uh, and I've got the best job I'm ever going to have. I I don't have any illusions that there's a better job out there. You know, one where I'm more personally passionate about the product, where I'm more engaged with the community, where I feel like I've got the, you know, the, the skills and the experience to be able to make a difference. And, you know, at some point, irrespective of how much I love the job and, and, and how personally passionate I am about the community, um, you know, I, I may come to the conclusion that that's, you know, it's time for new blood and it's time for someone else to, to step in and, and leave their mark on, on the business. Um, and I don't want to be the guy who hangs on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, you know, we're, we're still moving in a, in a interesting direction. And, and I still feel like uh, there's a lot that I can contribute on the Ironman side and, and on the other side as well. But, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I, I like going to work every day. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see, you know, how, how long, we'll see how long I want to do it. You got any racing plans for this season? Oh, so, um, I was supposed to race in Vietnam last weekend Mm. and, and couldn't do it for, you know, I couldn't make the trip, unfortunately. Uh, I did Ironman Lake Placid last year. So that was my fourth full and, and, uh, I've, I've resolved, I I resigned myself and it reinforced the fact that, that I will never qualify for Kona. (laughs) (laughs) To work on those legacy slots. Eight eight, eight to go and you get a legacy (laughs) slot. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if I'm going to get there, that's how I'm getting there. That's for sure. (laughs) I mean, when I, when I was a, a fat, well, I was never a fast age grouper, but in 2005, 2006, when I weighed, you know, 10 kilos less and trained three times as much. I was within half an hour of being able to make it to Kona, you know, but like on my best day, if I could catch the roll down, I had a chance. Now, you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm racing men's 55 to 59 and the qualifying times in Lake Placid from, for 55 to 59 are as fast as they were for men's 40, 44 Mm. in 2005, 2006. Nice. Brilliant. You know, Part of, part of it is that there's fewer slots, but but part of it is everybody's gotten faster, and yeah. I haven't. Unfortunately, <laughs> fantastic. Oh, we we love your insight because um, and, and your honesty and the things that you're doing this year. I mean, you've got off to a blinding start. So uh, sometimes we're critical. We try to be fair, but um, I do love getting your side of the story, and uh, everything's heading in a pretty good direction. The only challenge I've got now is I've got yeah. to get, get back to Kona and uh, <laughs> and figure that race out because I'm. Uh, I'm three and three and zero in terms of performing this. So, Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Um, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you at the races. It's a pleasure, fellas. Good luck, John. We, we kind of didn't want to take up too much of his time, but we kind of well, we, good on him because I, I when you get when you get time with people like that, you think and the, the the secretary's organised it all, yep. um, and you've got half, pretty an st- half an hour. And I'm like, I'm really conscious that's the time I've got, yep. and he was happy to carry on. I love talking to him. He's he's fantastic. He is pretty honest. Eh? That's what I like about him. And I think the things that come out of the interview for me as well is we've sometimes just got to remember that it's a big company in terms of the other stuff they do, and that may well at some stage potentially 
overtake how important Ironman is to them. Pro- probably not. Well, I don't know. Running's but pretty big. Running's pretty big. And then do they rebrand their running? I mean, the, their running business has all got branding, like rock and roll and things like that. But uh, that must be a massive part of their business. And is it as important as Ironman? Is it? Is that going to get you more revenue? I, I bet you'd make more out of a massive oh, marathon city, like, yeah, than no, an Ironman. Of course they would. Yeah. So... Uh, because you think of a big marathon, you get 50,000 people. Mm. Now, admittedly, there's not many that get 50,000, but let's say. Yeah. I mean, what are you paying to New York? 200 bucks? Don't know. Well, it's yeah. way more than you're going to make from Kona. Mm. So I guess it'll just be a prioritizing of their business, but they're still going to make good money out of triathlon, so they're not going to throw it out with the – throw it out, but um, big, big business. What do you think about the, um, the change to the way starts? We didn't Fant- get detail, I- but – yeah, fantastic. It's just like they're ticking all the bloody boxes this year. No, I stop making us like you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, like I, I really was going to stand by that. I would not go back to Kona until they've done something like this. And it's still, there's still going to be shitloads of drafting out there. I'm not, uh, yeah. you know, even with nine waves, there's still going to be a lot of drafting. How far do you take it? I think by the sound of it, I think we've all got to say they're going as hard as they can. If they match that up with as good a policing as you can, good education i posted something on our facebook page the other day uh about challenge taiwan and there was a picture up there um saying you know no to drafting and you could go along and sign it and you go that's a bit cheesy but it's just that little educational thing just to get it a little bit more to the front of your mind going you know drafting's not acceptable and you've got to do everything you can not to draft and i think a combination of all these things is still going to mean this drafting but the, hopefully we're in a position where you can go through the race and not feel like, this is ridiculous, I, I cannot ride, I cannot have a fair race, even remotely, and hopefully these steps are going to do it. We had that interview with the guys from Everyman Jack earlier in the year, and I'd imagine we'll find out from them whether this ticks all their boxes, but the key for me was when they said you know, that you've always got to be finished within a certain time because the pros are coming out, and now they've streamlined that, that's great, awesome, well done. Yeah, it's, it's 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 the right move, isn't it? Mm. And and you know what? To be honest, you know, it's I always think of that thing of we don't, like. I work for Les Mills, and Les Mills is a big firm, and sometimes they do things, and you kind of go, "Why are you doing that?" Mm. And then you know, I'm very lucky because I kind of know the owner, Philip Mills, and he's, he's I like Philip because he's he's a deep thinker, and um, and he's quite honest. He'll, he'll just tell you what's really the thought behind. And you, the thing you learn when you kind of work in a big organisation and you get to deal with the person who knows it all is they're just seeing things we don't see. Mm. You know what I mean? So we can often sit from the sideline and go, what are you doing, you schmuck? Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, like the example of the slots. Yeah. That was a pretty fair answer, wasn't it? It was. And and, and I get it. Now, that really helps me to get it because they're going, we've got 30 slots. Shit, we've got to do something well, with them. They were meant to be used for this race we're going to put on. That race is going to wait another year. Yeah. So that means we're going to put them here. And now maybe there's better ways of doing it, but you can kind of justify why. And so it's just good for us to be able to have this conversation with Andrew because it helps us to clarify some, and, and I think that's the thing is that fundamentally they are coming from the right place hmm. you know what I mean and at times now maybe pro monies you know we could maybe females that, yeah. I, I, we didn't bother going I didn't even bother going there in terms of the yeah, and we've had that conversation 50. with them in the past yeah. but but yeah you know generally speaking I think their heart is in the right place and you know they're hmm. well intended in what they're doing and, uh, and it's, he really cares about people too hmm. and he knows the sport and he knows like 
we've met him a few times, but you know, you guys wouldn't have heard it. He's asking how we are in Christchurch, yeah. and he's saying you that you do a camp every year. Yeah, Jesus Christ, what is it here for? <laughs> no, no, it's good stuff. I like that. Okay, so next up, uh, let's just sponsor John. Extreme endurance, lactic buffer. So as you know, today is day one that I got back from Kona, and over there on the camp, uh, we give all the athletes extreme endurance, and it's a fantastic way when you're going through a big block of training, especially when you've got a race coming up uh, to give it a try uh it there's no side effects or anything like that it improves your recovery um it means your legs aren't anywhere near as sore and from a performance perspective then it's always harder to judge it but in my experience you know if it reduces that lactic acid in your legs you just you feel a bit better in the race so and it's one of those things uh just try it for even if just a week before your next race, say you've got an Olympic coming up or a half Ironman that's a build up to something else, just try it and, and the proof will be in the pudding. It's not like it's a thousand dollar experiment you are undertaking. So check it out, xendurance.com and get on their standard extreme endurance amongst all their other products and uh, get yourself recovered, go quicker in your racing, feel better and go on and kick on to bigger and brighter things. So check it out xendurance.com and they have got lots of nice apparel on their Bevan and most of their t-shirts I think normally meet your t-shirt criteria. Um, I should probably up my t-shirt criteria because mm. that started when we started the show John. Yes. Which how long is that? 13 years. You know it's a $20 t-shirt policy. Mm. You know what? You can kind of still pull it off. Yes. And I think X Endurance will let you pull that off as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So check out xendurance.com. Great supplements. Grab a t shirt while you're there. And uh, people seem to love it. We get lots of good feedback about it. So check it out. John, we've got an interview with Sika Henry coming up right now. I haven't actually done the interview, so you guys are going to hear it. Here she is right now. Right, Tim, I'm very excited to have Sika Henry on the show today. I've just found out her name means gold. Uh, so hopefully, this is a pretty gold interview. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I suppose let's, let's just start with your athletic history. Tell us a little about your kind of journey in as being an athlete and then leading into being a triathlete. Sure, yeah. I've been an athlete my entire life. Uh, my parents always had us doing sports growing up, and we had a pool in my backyard, so I grew up swimming. Um, I actually swam all four years of high school, but it was on a high school team, not a club team. Yeah. So, like, um, my high school gym coach was our swim coach, so... Um, considering my swim times, you would have never thought I grew up <laughs> swimming because my swim times are pretty atrocious, but um, at least I had some background into it. So I was pretty comfortable getting into the swim. Um, and then my senior year of high school, I wanted to switch sports and I always wanted to try track and field. And I was in gym class one day and the track coach saw me kind of just jumping around playing the basketball. And he was like, you know, run and jump and try to touch the rim of the the basketball net. And I went and I did it. He was like, you would be a really great high jumper. So, um, yeah, the outdoor season of my senior year of high school, I went out and I did high jump and I loved it. And at that point, I already gotten into college, um, Tufts University, and I contacted the coach and she let me walk onto the team. And I did track and field all four years of college. So I was primarily a high jumper. And uh, I had some speed and I could run um, like a 58 second, 400, which you know, isn't that impressive considering what collegiate athletes run, but for somebody who didn't have a background in the sport, I did pretty well. And then after college, uh, just to stay in shape, I had a 
a local marathon um, when I was living in New Jersey and working in New York City. Um, I kind of set that as a goal. I did not train properly. It was a miserable experience. I puked from like 17 to the finish line. In fact, when I got to mile 23, I saw a spectator on the sideline and I asked if I could use her phone and I called my best friend to come get me. Like, I can't. <laughs> Luckily, she didn't answer the phone, so I had to finish the marathon. It was crazy. It was like the worst experience ever. Somehow, I managed to break uh, four hours. So I was like, all right, I have some capabilities in this. But it took me like seven years to get over that experience. It was pretty bad. Um, And then in 2013, uh, I was actually going through a divorce. Um, You know, it was my 20s, and it was just really hard at the time. I remember just feeling just hopeless. And I was laying around, not getting out of bed, not wanting to go to work. And um, there was a local triathlon and it was, um, it was in two weeks. And I, again, randomly signed up for it. Um, No training really, just kind of went out on the mountain bike and I uh, went to the pool and got membership there and started swimming. So I had two weeks to get ready for this race. So I did the sprint triathlon. I came in like last place. I was terrible, but I had so much fun. And I would say that was the day I fell in love with the sport. Um, And I also noticed that the swimming and the biking all the cross training uh, made me really fit. I started running times that I didn't even think I was capable of. Like I went from not being able to break 20 minutes in a 5K to all of a sudden running like in the 18s. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. And, um, I told you I had that horrible marathon experience. Well, at this point I was living in Virginia and they had an inaugural, um, Newport News one city marathon. And I was in pretty good shape at that point. I was running about 40, 50 miles a week or something. And I went out and I did it and I won it. And uh, the first female, yeah, I was the first female across the line. And I came back again, I did it the next year and I won again. And then the year after that, I made a goal of wanting to break three hours. And um, I was seven seconds off. So I ran three hours, six seconds. I know three hours and six seconds. I literally saw the clock ticking down. I'm like, Oh, you have to be kidding me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would say the past two years though, I've given up the whole marathon thing. I primarily focused on triathlon. That's where my passion is. And so yeah. uh, where are you right now? I, I, I'm not quite sure your, your aim is to turn pro or we, what's happening in your moment? That, that oh yeah, definitely. Goals to turn pro. Yep. That, um, I always set these really high, crazy expectations of myself. And um, I would say probably the past two years, I've gotten really serious about it. I've been working with Jonathan Karen. He's a coach based out in Canada, and he has some really great athletes, um, like Jen Annette. She has the world record on the bike and the Ironman and stuff. So um, I've been working with him. Last year was a huge adjustment for me. I didn't know people train twice a day every day. <laughs> I didn't know people were training 15, 20 hours a week. I mean, it was really eye-opening for me. I, I really had no idea how much people had to put into it or how much I had to put into it to get to that level. So, yeah, it was, last year was really eye-opening, but I also saw huge improvements. Um, I was... Uh, I had the fastest run split at Ironman 70.3 Eagleman last year for the amateur women, and I finally broke 130 in the half marathon at the end of uh, a half Ironman. So I saw a lot of improvement working with him, and um, 
I think what last year for amateur they came in 21st and then 11th and then 7th at my last one and you need top 3 um oh, top okay. 3 amateur finish to get your pro card so okay. so yeah. you're close I was getting close until my accident yeah. we'll, we'll go into that in a second but before we do go into that yeah. um you, you obviously your career you've got quite a successful career so what's your career in uh, sure. Yeah, I work for Ferguson Enterprises. They're the number one uh, plumbing and HVAC wholesale distributor in the U.S. Yep. Um, I work in their um, marketing department. Okay. I do customer analytics. So my background is economics. Um, so I help them basically understand their customer base. I look at a lot of transactional data and try to understand why customers are purchasing what they're purchasing and um, who are the right customers to market to, how we should tailor the marketing uh, marketing plans out there to yeah, bring in more customers and hold on to the customers we have. So, so how do you manage, you know, because I imagine your career is pretty demanding in itself. Um, yes. and, and, you know, you're, you're kind of at the amateur stage trying to step up to a professional stage as an athlete. Just, you know, like uh, once you go pro and, and like I'm not quite sure what level of ambition you'd want to have with pro, but it's that kind of thing of um, the real pro athlete is literally just that's what they do all day. Uh, right. You know, and in some ways it's a bad thing because sometimes they get a bit too one dimensional and it's nice to have something mm -hmm. else. But when you've got a successful career um, and you're trying to do this thing, which is pretty demanding, pretty time consuming, pretty energy sapping, what are the keys that make that successful for you? Yeah, I'll never be somebody who does one thing full time. Um, just like I couldn't be 100% in corporate life, climbing the corporate ladder, I would go crazy, just like I couldn't do just sport. So I really find that the balance is necessary in my life. They both help me when I go out for a run, it helps clear my head and it makes me better at my job. And then when my job is overwhelming, it, yeah, it's just nice to have that break and travel to races and stuff like that. Um, and I'm also no, like, I know where my fitness level is and I'm not going to be out there, you know, I don't know, winning a half hour man or anything. I don't see that really in my future. I see the times that these women are running and, you know, they're running 120 at the end of a half iron man. I can't even do that in an open iron, uh, half iron man. So um, I don't see that side coming to fruition. But um, I love being, I uh, guess, showing more diversity in the sport. I think if I was to turn pro, which would make me the first African-American woman to do so, it um, it would hopefully inspire other African-Americans or just minorities in general to get into the sport. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that because we read, we read your article um, and someone sent through what happened with the crash. And again, we'll talk about the crash soon. But And they're sure. saying that you're aiming to be the first female african-american to be a pro athlete and it blew our mind away and, and we were a bit naive um yeah you know and, and we and then we were kind of trying to think have there been any you know and we, and we just couldn't re yeah. and obviously there haven't been can you talk yeah. about why you believe there isn't much diversity in the sport because there's plenty of amazing african and american athletes in endurance sport you know right. like you know look at the runners out there you know there's plenty of athletes who have the pedigree to be successful in triathlon so why right. do you feel there is this kind of lack of diversity in the sport right so 
yeah, most people don't realize that there are only 0.5% of African-Americans in the sport, not just females, African-Americans, period. And um, another crazy statistic that people don't realize is that about 75% of African-Americans lack basic swimming skills. So if you threw them in the deep end of a pool, you know, they would struggle to swim back. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that's a huge factor. And um, a lot of that has to do with just historical uh, situations, um, you know, segregation with pools, African-Americans not being allowed to swim um, in pools, you know, mm-hmm. up until, I guess, what se- segregation happened up until, ni- segregation happened until 1960. So, um, you know, we weren't allowed to swim in pools, and we would go to, you know, lakes, creeks, places where there weren't lifeguards, there would be drowning incidents, and then parents started warning their children not to go near the water, we can't swim, you're going to drown, and um, it was just kind of passed on to generation to generation. So, like, if your parents can't swim, the chances of you knowing how to swim is very slim. Mm. Um, so, and then, of course, you know, the, the money factor um, that has a lot to do with, I mean, triathlon is an expensive sport no matter what race you are. Mm. So that's another huge issue. So I would say those are the two main things. It's amazing how, you know, like, it's, you know, like some people – um, the racism thing, isn't it? Like New Zealand, Maori is our kind of uh, indigenous people, and um, mm-hmm. you know some people kind of think you know that people should just move on. You know, like you know, you should, but right? You, you know, you, I you hear go, that so often. Yeah, yeah, and and, and the mm-hmm. downfall of that thinking is it's only a couple of generations, and you're you know African yeah. American people couldn't swim in a pool, and so right. and you talk about this kind of idea of um, what's the flow on effect of that? Well, the flow on effect is seventy percent of African Americans don't have basic swimming skills, um, right. you know, and and so it, 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 there is some big shifts that need to happen in mm-hmm. society to be able to allow people to develop these skills and and to shift these things, but to also understand that it's not a weak excuse. There's a right. real reason behind it. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, and. Uh, I wouldn't say I have had arguments about it, but when people do ask that question about, you know, African-Americans not being able to swim, they're like, oh, well, so they're choosing not to, you know, go to swim lessons. And I'm like, no, these things have been, you know, something that happened 30 years ago, just because to you 30 years ago seems so long ago doesn't mean that there isn't an impact today. Yeah. Do you find that, here's a hard question, Um, do you find there's racism in triathlon? I personally haven't ran into it. If anything, it's been the opposite for me. I've met incredibly kind people and um, people have been very, yeah, very welcoming. Um, in fact, all the, any support that I've had in the sport has actually been from, you know, all sorts of nationalities. So, yeah, I haven't experienced that. I can't say that other people haven't. Um, I have spoken to friends. I'm in Black Triathletes Association. And I have spoken to people who say, yeah, I mean, it's you know, definitely awkward. People look at me weird and stuff like that. And and I do stand out. I mean, I'm a five foot ten African-American woman. When I go to these races, I only see maybe one, two or three other African-Americans, although I do notice that that's changing. But, yeah, it's a little awkward. I definitely stand out. Is it intimidating for you? No, because I think a lot of it has to do with how I grew up. Um, I grew up, I went to all girl, pretty much all Caucasian Catholic school. Um, so, and I was on a swim team. So I'm used to it. It doesn't really, 
I notice it when I'm out, but I don't, it doesn't affect me. I don't want to hide or embarrassed or, you know, I don't feel out of place. And so you shouldn't, but it's just, I'm just kind of curious. Um, What's it like when you describe your sport to your African-American friends? Because, yeah, (laughs) you know, like obviously if if they don't have basic swimming skills as a a whole, I know it's such a stereotypical thing to say, but, but, um, you know, you, you must seem like an alien to them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, most of them say, you know, they'll ask me what it is. And I say, you swim, you bike and you run. They're like, oh, you have to swim first. Okay. I can never do that. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Right. They're talking about stereotypes. Yeah. It's true though. Um, yeah. They think I'm pretty crazy. Uh, not necessarily because I swim, bike and run, but because I do the longer okay. distance events yeah. and the fact that I put in so many hours of training, they think, you know, like, oh my God, you train twice a day. That's crazy. You go out and ride for four hours on a Saturday and then you get off the bike and you run after. Yeah. I mean, but uh, it's crazy in general, whether you're white, black or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So the so question I have is um, with, with regards to more participation of a more diverse group of people, not just African-American, but um, you know, like, because, you know, we, we're always trying to grow the sport. I always think that in any sport you do, part of being passionate about it is trying to get people to buy the drug that you love. And, and by that, I mean, you know, get more people doing triathlon. Now, obviously, you're taking it upon your shoulders to be a role model to up-and-comers to say, hey, we could can achieve and aim for these higher levels. And look, I have done that. And, it, you know, if you can get to that level, that's a pretty amazing achievement. What are some of yeah. the practical or, – or, or if we could live in a world in the future where it is a more diverse sport – what do you think are some of the key things that need to happen where, you know, we, we could say that instead of 0.5, you know, there's a 10% of African-American at least, you know? Uh, I think awareness first and foremost. Um, when you speak to African-Americans, the majority of the time they've never heard of the sport or they just associate it with Kona and the world championships and that you have to do this full Ironman so they don't realize that there are sprints. There's mm. pool, you know, there's a a sprint where you can start in the pool as a swim. Um, so you're just building awareness around the sport. Um, another thing that I've seen more now is showing um, women in the sport, um, different backgrounds, sizes, ethnicities. Um, when you see people that look like you doing something, yeah. it all of a sudden looks possible, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think showing a diverse group of people in the sport, not just focusing on the typical, you know, no offense, but Caucasian yeah. male, you know, um, I think that's important. Um, you know, you usually imitate something you see that's good that you want to try. So I think that that's key also. And then of course the money factor, I mean, the sport is just so expensive. You can know how to swim and want to try the sport, but, um, I wish there was a way to make it accessible financially. Um, For me personally on my journey, because I've been so outspoken and vocal and I have a blog and stuff like that, I've had the opportunity to work with companies that have helped me uh, really get in the sport and stay in the sport without going broke. So Mm. I wish... There's one thing I I would recommend you look at, actually. In New Zealand, we have this great, great event called Iron Mouldy, which is... um, basically an event, where someone's going to look up the website right now, um, mm-hmm. um, 
It's it's an event that's basically a triathlon event, which is for Māori, the culture, although you don't have to be Māori to do it. Um, but what it is, it's basically like a half, but they do it, it's like participation to the max. Like, you know, you've got people 150 kg and a team doing this thing, and it's 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 transforms lives and it's a really good model and it's just got so many moldy people into triathlon um mm-hmm. and it's 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 quite a a well-known event in new zealand like it's a really successfully run event and the the kind of the greater purpose of it is about health and community you know mm-hmm. it, it, but it's using triathlon and just this really really powerful i'll send a link to you because i think okay yeah that yeah, would be great and you'll get a lot from it so yeah. um i mean luckily there are i every month it seems now i'm seeing more um more things going on in the sport that I think is going to eventually help bring people in, um, like the women's triathlon teams out that are collegiate, are now a collegiate sport. So oh, I think course, that's yeah, going to help gonna, a lot. Yeah, 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 that's huge. Um, and then there are more um, women-only uh, triathlon events, yeah. and that's bringing more people into it. So, And there also seems like there are more uh, women entrepreneurs in the sport. I went to a conference back in November. It was called the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. It was really great, and um, I didn't realize that Fleet Feet was started by a woman. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of her name right now. Um, one of the top female Ironman athletes back in the day. I'm sure you would know if I said her name, but, um, so yeah, it seems like there are more, um, you know, women coming up with clothing lines like smash and stuff like that. So over the past year or two, it's changed a lot. The other thing as well is, is when you get the African American champion, you know, it's it's kind of like what Tiger Woods did for golf. You know, like it, it's right. it, it's it, Serena. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like it, it, and that's the thing is that we know African American. There's plenty of amazing athletes in many sports. Uh, you right. know, and, and we just haven't had that many in doing triathlon. So if that right. participation number comes up, we know there's going to be champions, which will also kind of and it's kind of what you're aiming to be the first of, isn't it? Is that kind of the first to open right. the door to kids to say, hey, this yeah. is possible. Right. Yeah, I won't be comparable to Tiger or Serena, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but <laughs> but just to show that it's possible, oh, yeah, you know, totally. when I first got into it, I wasn't some exceptional athlete or anything. Mm-hmm. So to show that you can be just a you know newbie triathlete and eventually, possibly, fingers crossed, earn your pro card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just lastly, going back to the racism thing, the thing about um, triathlon, and I think it's such a healthy sport, especially long course, is it breaks down your humanity. You know, it yeah. really does. And, and I think that's one of the reasons, like, I've always found my experience in the sport is there is always a bit of ego, don't get me wrong. But generally speaking, because it's such a personal journey about yourself, it mm-hmm. allows you to be more accepting and just bringing everyone in. And so, you know, that's such a good metaphor for life in any area. You know, we try to think about breaking down those social constructs, you know, that separate people. You know, triathlon right. is just a great resource to actually help people realize we're all kind of just the same, and we're all yes. just trying to work through the same things. And actually, let's support yeah. each other on that journey. Like it's, you know, it's a pretty powerful sport for that. Yeah, yeah, that is the beauty in this sport. Um, that whether you're the slowest person out there just trying to make the cutoff, or you're winning the race, like it, you're all out there suffering together. It's hard. It's not yeah. harder for one person more than another. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the reason we actually first heard about you is because you had this horrific trash. I've got the photo here in front of me, you poor thing. It's, it's a bloody good photo. It's, 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 a, it's a Jesus. 
my mother was not happy that I shared that photo. Oh. When I wrote my blog, I was like, Dad, do you think I should include it? He was like, that should be the cover photo. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got here, this is my good side. And I'm like, Jesus, what's the other side yeah. looking like? So, so oh, yeah. tell us about what happened and, and tell us about your journey through it and getting back to where you are right now. Sure. So I went to Ironman 70.3 Texas last month and uh, I was pretty fit and really, uh, I mean, I was nervous, but I was looking forward to testing my fitness out. And um, I'm not sure how it is where you live in New Zealand with the races, if it's rolling or age group start. But um, last year I had the opportunity that uh, all my races were rolling start. So I seated myself, you know, pretty close to the front of the race because, you know, when you're um, trying to get top 10 female amateur overall, you're going to, you're not going to start in the back. But anyway, so, so Texas, 70.3 Texas was an age group wave start. And unfortunately I was in one of the last uh, female waves to go. So hundreds of athletes had already gone before me. Um, by the time I got on the bike course, it was really crowded and, you know, some, I don't know if it was first time newbie, uh, triathletes, you know, some people on mountain bikes, road bikes, stuff like that, but um, they weren't really paying attention, I guess, is what I was told um, by a woman who was actually behind me. Um, and one of the women swerved into me, and I don't have any recollection of this, but I tried to avoid her. And there was a cone dividing the road from oncoming traffic. And as I swerved to avoid her, I hit the cone head on. I was going about, um, it was on flat road. It wasn't going downhill. I wasn't going downhill, but I was going about 25 miles per hour. I mean, I had a disc wheel and stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, smashed into the ground. Um, the helmet that I was wearing saved my head, but the face shield, um, the glasses yeah. part, Pretty much lacerated my face. Yeah, um, I broke my nose. Yeah, I broke my nose, which was fixed luckily um, in the ER. But I was taken to the trauma center, and um, the bone that holds the teeth in place—I think it's called the alveolar or something—that fractured. So I actually have a splint right now holding my teeth in place as they heal. Um, what else did I have done? I had about 35 stitches in my face to different sections of my face. Um, it was pretty horrific. And honestly, truth be told, the horrible picture on my blog, that one isn't even that bad. Like, I have some really bad pictures. Were you um, uh, Yes. Yeah, I was, but somehow nothing too serious. I had neuro, you know, I went to see a neurologist and I had all sorts of tests done and maybe for the first two days I was a little sensitive to noise, but other than that, I didn't have any, Great. any other symptoms of a concussion. So I'm really blessed in that way. And um, when I finally woke up, when I was like on the operating table, the first thing I thought was, I thought I was paralyzed. So when I realized I wasn't, I was just like, okay, thank God. And then, of course, the second thing I thought about was my head, my brain, because you hear about, you know, mm. so many horror stories with people dealing with concussions the rest of their life, going through depression, having balance issues, stuff like that. So to not have to deal with any of that, I'm so grateful. I mean, of course, I'm upset that my face is all messed up right now. But, you know, luckily, uh, once things settle down with my face, if I need, you know, laser corrective surgery or something like that, I'll have that done. But I seem to be healing really well on my own. Yeah, it's amazing. Look, I, I, obviously, people are listening to this, but I can see you and 
So you, yeah. you know, you're looking great, you know, considering, Thank you know, you. I've got yeah, the photo, I've got, it was last month. Yeah, I've got yeah, the photo underneath you on my month. screen and then you were there. It's like, okay, there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally stitched my face back together, but they, uh, the doctors think because I was so healthy when it happened, um, I just recovered and I bounced back so fast. So yeah. Say there are some good things to being an athlete. <laughs> what about mentally? Has, has it affected you? Um, it's been hard. It's been a roller coaster for me. Um, very up and down in terms of, you know, I wrote an article for slowtwitch.com. Um, it was called disclosure, disclosure at the time of registration. Um, one of the things that I was pretty fr frustrated about is the fact that when we register and pay for a race, they don't let us know if it's age group or rolling. Um, when I first started the sport, I didn't care either way because I was so slow, so it didn't really matter where they seated me. But now that I'm faster, I feel like um, being in a age group wave start where I could possibly be last is kind of a recipe for disaster and dangerous. So I wouldn't want to put myself in that situation again. So had I known that that was going to be the start, I wouldn't have done that particular race. But, um, you know, the article I wrote, it's not blaming anybody. I'm not blaming the person who swerved into me. Surprisingly, I'm really not angry at anybody. Um, you know, these things happen. Um, you know, I'm not made mad at the race director or anything like that or Ironman itself. I love those events. But I think that athletes have the right to know what they're signing up for when they register. I think it should be disclosed. So, you know, I thought about that a lot. Um, I wrote about it. And, you know, sometimes you read comments and people are kind of mean in them. And that upsets me a little bit. But um, other than that, like, I've been able to bounce back so fast. I'm already swimming and biking and running already. I was lucky to not have broken any limbs or collarbone or anything. So besides my facial, you know, issues, the broken nose and teeth and all that stuff, um, the fact that I'm able to be out there training again, it's it's taken my mind away from things. And I feel like myself again. Like I, I couldn't imagine just not doing sport because of that. Um, like people at my job, they're like, oh, so you're done, right? You're never going to do that again. And I'm like, what? All those hours I put in just to stop? Like, no, like this journey does not end right here. So what's been the value in it? Um, I'm more appreciative. I think, um, it's funny heading into that race. I was kind of dreading it. I told my mom, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm kind of stressed out. And I was putting so much pressure on myself that, I thought the worst possible thing that could happen was if I got a flat or if I didn't finish in the time I wanted or I didn't order my pro card. I thought those were the worst things that could happen in the race, but mm -hmm. I experienced one of the worst things that could possibly happen in a race. So it makes me really appreciate just being able to swim, bike, and run, and I'm, there's so much less pressure on me now, I feel like. Nice. So, yeah, it's... It's a hard learning experience that I wouldn't want to repeat this, but um, yeah, I, I look at the sport differently. I look at training differently too. I used to dread like, oh my God, my coach is making me do 12, you know, 400 repeats on the track, you know, like I wouldn't want to do stuff like that. And now it's like, oh my God, I'm healthy enough and I'm able to get back on the track and do these things. Uh, okay. Yeah, great. It's amazing how, you know, it can help us shift perspective in a way that actually makes us stronger. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, just lastly, any, any kind of advice you'd want to give to somebody who's just getting into the sport um, or, you know, kind of you know, about triathlon in general? 
yeah, I mean, the sport's wonderful, and you you don't really know what to expect until you do it. Um, I don't think it's as scary as it looks. Um, you know, certain people have told me that they wanted to try it, but they're, you know, they're not a strong swimmer. I mean, get lessons. Like, mm. make sure your kids get lessons. If nothing else, even if it's not for triathlon, it's a life-saving skill. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, like, get in the water. You know, if you can't swim, learn how to swim. And just know that there are different um, different race formats and different distances. You know, as wonderful as it is watching Kona and, you know, people have these huge goals of, like, you know, world championships and stuff like that. There's also sprint and Olympic distances. There's you know, a pool, pool sprint triathlon. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a great community and there's so many different resources online that you can find. Um, you know, and I've had the pleasure of, if it wasn't for a triathlon, I, I wouldn't know some of the wonderful folks I do and the people that help me like, um, so shout out to my sponsors, <laughs> Hoka. Hoka has been really great. I love their sneakers, Zoot Sports. Uh, I love racing in their kit. Um, I did my first half Ironman in their kit in 2016, and now they support me. And um, In-N-Out Express, uh, a local urgent care facility, they've been great to me. And um, Point Two Running Company also um, in terms of, like, all my nutrition needs and stuff like that. So, yeah, Um and another thing, though, too, also people ask me about is sponsorships and stuff, and they're under the impression that you have to be, you know, like some pro winning a race and stuff like that, and that's not the case. There are really great ambassador programs out there as well, so I think that's pretty cool. Hey, thank you so much for your time. You're doing um, a, what, you know, to kind of have the experience you've recently had and come back is pretty amazing, uh, but B, mm -hmm. more importantly, you know, you, you, the work you are doing is opening doors to people who wouldn't have thought of this as a possibility and we all know the value of triathlon in our lives and so keep up the good work we, we're, 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 we're all kind of hoping that you get that pro card and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. just keep doing up and uh, we'll hopefully get back on the show at some stage in the future thank you yep hopefully next time on the i'm on the show i'll have my pro card there we go there, right out. Hey, <laughs> yeah awesome. thanks for your time thank you you too yeah. Nice work, Bevan. Yeah. Well, hopefully it was a good interview. <laughs> it was a good interview. Uh, John, let's wrap things up. We, we, so basically, let's do sponsors. Oh, no, sorry. Patrons first. Matthew Kenny Van Noose. Here's a pretty obvious one. Jonathan the Lumberjack Woodman. And Kevin the Assassin Hunt. That's a good one as well. Jumbo, if you want to become a patron, what you can do is go to www.iamtalk.me. All on our website, become a patron. There's different levels that you can become patrons on. There's different gifting, and depending on your level, you get more entries to come and join the boys at Kona at 2020. Um, if you want to get show email to you, you can go to the www.imtalk.me down the bottom of the page. You've got the email link. You can also get John's coaching at coachjohnnewson.com, my podcast at bevanjamesisles.com. Also, you can email us, imtalkpodcast at gmail.com with age group of the week, call websites, and other good feedback. We do need more age groupers of the week and things like that because you got, there's lots of racing going on at the moment. So if you've got a mate or somebody who's done a just something a little bit more respectable that you go, that was a bloody awesome performance by them, whether it's a half or a full, uh, you can't nominate yourself for age grouper of the week. We've had people try before. There was one guy, hey, maybe years ago, there was a guy who like, the, and the thing about it is, 
if you really wanted to play the game, you could skip it. It's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> but this guy said it was like 20 emails. Oh, can you please put me in the yeah. group of the week? So uh, there's got to be some noteworthy performances, especially if they've had to come over, overcome adversity or they've been trying for X number of years and they finally cracked it. You don't need to be winning an age group or anything like that. It's just good no- stories. noteworthy performances. Yeah, you want to support a mate. Mm. Like Bevan, um, what is the date today? It's 11th of June. Oh, holy crap. It's Thomas's birthday. <gasps> Harold? He is... 12. <laughs> Had to think about that for a second. 12. Mate. 12? He is, isn't he? Okay, yeah, so the voice starts yeah. to crack pretty soon. Did you right. mature young? Did you? Shit, yes. I knew that about you because yeah. you're a hairy bugger. Yeah. You know? No, that's what. That's part of the reason why I probably got a, did well at sport was because I matured so young. You're I was like big man. and strong and and I was did well at sports and then when you do well then you kind of just stick with it so no I'm probably the same bloody size I am now that I was when I was 13, 14 see I was the total opposite Mm. I need my pubes till I was 20 (laughs) even now you're struggling (laughs) tell me about it I um I I, like and I played rugby league Mm. and league is very much a sport league league I love my league I love my league um, and the Warriors well hopefully they've won a few more games they're on a bit of a roll right now but um, they were a month ago yeah exactly <laughs> it'll be interesting to see but um, I played rugby league and, and me and my mates were all like me we were basically we were 14, 15 and, so, and we still look like 10 year olds so for Americans I don't know if this is a good analogy or not rugby if, if you know rugby Rugby is probably a cro- league. It's probably a cross between kind of gridiron and rugby. Uh, you kind of run up into a line and just bash into them, and then you bash up again. It's, not it's very it's line. Not very, it's line based. Yeah, isn't it, it is line based. It's a better game. It's a better, much better game to watch than rugby. It's a better TV game to watch than rugby. Yeah. Rugby's a better game to watch at a stadium. Oh, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, it is. Have you been to a league game live? No, <laughs> but that's what I've been told. <laughs> That's what yeah. I've been told. I had my, 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 I had my cousin around. And my, we had a family function the other week. And uh, my nephew, Mitch, he's a lovely kid. And he's got opinions on everything, but he knows nothing. Mate. <laughs> and you kind of feel like, say, hey, mate, mate we, we, maybe you need to do some kind of thinking behind it your It was thinking. my father-in-law that told me that. And he, he watches a lot of sport. And he said, rugby league's fantastic on the TV. Rugby is heaps better at uh, uh, off the TV because there's right. so much but league is a better sport for people who know nothing about either sport oh yeah because it's so much easier Absolutely. to understand Simple. how it works yeah it's it really is the problem with rugby is penalties were in the oh, game yeah. and, and penalties could always go either way mm. you know mm. but anyway what was I talking about rugby you, you being a uh, small weenie rugby league oh, player yeah well because the problem was we played league, and now the league is, is really dominated by... Big boys. Yeah, big islanders and Māori mm. boys. Basically, these kids who become men mm. when they're five, mm-hmm. and we got our butts kicked every yeah. week. We were the opposite. God knows why I kept playing, because seriously, these guys were men, and, and I was like Thomas right now. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. We dest- like, we'd lose 80 points every week. Yeah. Like, we got destroyed. The only way to tackle, you've got to go around the ankles, because if you try to tackle any other position, you're just going to get or booked Or that off. age. Yeah. Yeah. Although when we went to the Warriors a few weeks ago, I had this guy, because in league, actually, that's the worst way to tackle. In mm. league, in the proper game, you've, you you, you've got to wreck the ball up. Yeah. So what you see, how they tackle is, they basically, the, the guy running for the ball runs towards the defenders. The defenders, the first couple of defenders will try to wrap the ball up. Yeah. And then the last defender will come try to get them on their back, so go to their legs. And I had this guy sitting next to me, who's obviously a rugby player, and he goes, 
I don't get off league. Why do they go around the legs? And yeah, I, go, no, oh. I get that. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, well, they need to. Well, no, you're wrong, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know the guy. And he's having his argument with me. Uh, it's, you know, it's good fun, John. That's why league's much better to watch live. Right. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up, John Boo. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.